I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and join me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll pick up this morning in verse 39, walk through verse 56. The series over the next four weeks together is the Songs of Christmas. And I just need some help this morning as we prepare to tackle some psalms that we see in the Christmas story. I'm just curious from you this morning, how many of you would say Christmas music is okay any time of the year? Any time of the year? Amen. All right. Some of you are looking around with disdain, aren't you? <laughs> How many of you say, well, Christmas music is okay as long as it's after maybe August? August heading into the fall of the year after August, anybody? Got a few. How many of you say, you better finish putting up the turkey on Thanksgiving before you turn on Christmas music in my house, all right? You know, what's interesting is for every single one of us, the songs of Christmas, those Christmas carols, some that we sang this morning, others that we'll sing throughout the rest of this month are songs that we associate with this time of year where we look forward to and we long to be able to sing these songs about the birth of Jesus. You know what's interesting is as you walk through the Christmas story in the scriptures is that the songs that we sing about the Christmas story weren't the original songs that were sung at Christmas. In fact, as you look in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, what we're going to see over the next four weeks together is that there are other songs, the original Christmas carols. And I thought it would be helpful for us as we think about entering into this time of year, as we look forward to Christmas Day, as we long to experience the joy that that day brings, for us to be reminded of the original songs that were sung around that time. And so this morning, I want to read for us the text, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. If you want to join me there in your copy of God's Word, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be some around you uh, in the back of the seats there. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a copy, take that home with you as a gift from us to you this time of year. You can also follow along with me on the screen as well. Luke records this, beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, we ask this morning, as we open your word, you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. As we just saw Mary's song of praise to the Lord, I want you to keep this main idea, and it's going to frame our time together as we walk back through this song, this exclamation of praise that she uttered for the Lord, and it's this truth, Mary's song of praise should be our song of praise. Mary's song of praise, the words that she uttered in praise to the Lord should be our words that we utter as well. I want to catch you up in the story. We kind of parachuted in right there in verse 39, but I want you to know what's happening leading up to this point in Luke chapter 1. What we're seeing take place is Mary interacting with her cousin Elizabeth. And we know that Elizabeth's child would be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But earlier on in the chapter, we saw that Mary was visited by an angel. And the angel said to Mary, you are blessed. In fact, you are so blessed. The Lord has chosen that you will bear the Messiah, the Christ child. The long-awaited Savior that Israel and the world had been looking for, you would bear God's own Son. So Mary had been given this message from the angel. She had received this message. She had given herself willingly to be this servant of the Lord, to bring the Christ child into the world. And let's remind ourselves that this would not have been a very popular thing for Mary to have been pregnant, to have been unwed. It was not something that you would look at and say, I want to sign up for that. But willingly, she said, Lord, I am your servant. However you want to use me in this way, I am willing to be used by you. And then we enter in to this conversation that Mary has with Elizabeth. Two pregnant women getting together, enjoying time, celebrating, talking about what's to come. 
And it says that as Mary first comes in, Elizabeth says that when she heard her voice, that the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leapt for joy. And she makes this proclamation in verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I want you to notice that Mary responds with a song of praise. It's a song that we sang about right before the message this morning. It's a song that I think many of us have heard before. But I want for us this morning to dive into this song of praise, to unpack it together, and then to consider, is this song that Mary sings my song? Is it the song that I can sing this morning? But you notice beginning in verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You remember the first time you saw a magnifying glass? I remember as a kid picking one up And I figured out that you could actually hold it in such a way that the sun would go through it and burn leaves. How many of you did that? Tell the truth. You're in church, right? But what I realized in that moment is that a magnifying glass does something. It's important and it shows us something. And here what Mary is saying is that her soul, every ounce of her being is magnifying, making the Lord big. She says in this context of having been told she would bear the Christ child, she says, my heart is leaping out of my chest in such a way that it is praising the Lord. It is magnifying the Lord. It is making Him big. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting about this. Some have taken and said, we need to lift Mary up. Mary needs to be the focus of our attention, the focus of our praise. But I want you to notice, that's not what Mary herself does. In fact, what Mary does is lift high the name of the Lord. Magnify, put on display the Lord. Verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So not only does my soul magnify and make the Lord big, but I rejoice in the reality that the Lord is doing exactly what he said he would do. And that is to bring salvation to this world. Mary says God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of being magnified. God is worthy of being made big, of being on display, of being the one that our souls and that our hearts are lifting up. I want you to notice in verse 48, beginning there and going through verse 55, she's going to tell us why. Why is God worthy to be magnified? Why is God worthy to be praised? 
why does it make perfect sense for us to give our lives to lifting high the name of Jesus, to pointing people's attention not to ourselves, but to the Lord, to do everything that we can with every moment we have in this life to not work for our own fame and our own glory, but to work for God's fame and God's glory. Why is that what our lives should be about? Mary is getting personal in verse 48. And she says, God is deserving of praise because he saw me in my humble state and he worked in my life mightily. Think about that for just a second. There was nothing about Mary that was remarkable. There's nothing about her that she should have been chosen. There's nothing about her life that marked her as someone that the Lord would use in an incredible way like he used her. And she recognized that. In fact, she says about the Lord, I am praising him, I am magnifying him because he saw me for who I really was. Think about that for a second in your own life. The Lord sees you for who you are. The Lord doesn't see the Instagram version of you or the Facebook version of you. The Lord doesn't see the whitewashed version of you, the church version of you. No, the Lord sees you for who you really are. The Lord sees the deepest parts of your soul. The Lord knows the thoughts that are running through your mind. He sees what no one else can see. And Mary says in this that the Lord saw me in my humble estate. Notice her humility in even saying that. She's not saying, look at me, I should be praised. Look at me, I am incredible. I mean, wouldn't God want me on his team? It's not what she's saying. What she's saying is, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. There's no reason in the world that he should even consider me. But he sees me. And not only does he see me, he worked in my life in an incredible and mighty way. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Let me just pause here for a second and ask the question, If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, do you identify with Mary here? We should. 
We should identify with her. In fact, her song, the first part here, should be our song. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, Jesus Christ has transformed your life. You've trusted in him as your savior. The Christmas story is not some hallmark card in your life. It is your life. And if that's the case, what you know is that you were just like Mary. In fact, the scripture paints a pretty bleak portrait for every single human being in this world that we were not born in such a way that we should be praised or lifted up. We were not created in such a way when we set foot on this planet that people would look and say, oh, God wants that person on their team. No, the scripture paints the portrait of us as sinners in desperate need of a savior. That for every single one of us, that we were in sin and there was no way to save ourselves. That this humble estate that she talks about being in was our reality. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 paints that picture for us. It holds a mirror up and reminds us of what was true about our lives before we met Jesus Christ. So Mary's song here, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your song. That God saw you in a humble place. You weren't worthy. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve his grace to be showered on you. You didn't earn your salvation. In fact, God saw you and with incredible grace and mercy looks at you and picks you and says, I am going to change your life. Mary's song is our song as believers. Not only that, she says God worked in a mighty way in her life. Christian, let me remind you that God worked in a mighty way in your life as well. That God brought you from dead in sin to alive in Christ. That God took you from the depths of despair and gave you hope that can only be given in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God took you from where you were and put you where you are. Mary's song is your song. It's my song. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, leading into this Christmas season, this song can also be your song. Where you come to the realization that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Savior stepped foot out of heaven 2,000 years ago, became a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Lived a perfectly sinless life, took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, paid for them, absorbing the wrath of the Father and was buried. But he didn't stay there. He was raised again on the third day, securing for you and for me salvation, making it possible for us to have God work in our life in a mighty, incredible way. 
If you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can take that step today. And this song, not just be verses on a page in the Bible, but this song be your song. I want you to notice that the song continues. In verse 50, Mary was incredibly personal in verse 48 and 49, and then she's going to expand her horizon a bit. She said, here's what God's done in my life, but let's take a snapshot of what God has done throughout all of history. And she begins in verse 50, and she says, His mercy is for those who fear Him. Listen to this, from generation to generation. Mary said, God is deserving of praise because He has extended mercy to generation after generation of those who fear Him. I want you to notice that what Mary is highlighting here is not by accident. Mary is calling all of history to bear witness to the reality that our God is a God of mercy. Hear me this morning. The Christmas story, above all things, is a beautiful portrait of the mercy of God on display. That as we celebrate who Jesus Christ is, what we are witnessing, what we are seeing is God's mercy on display. What is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. That's the definition of mercy. So let's think about that in relation to what Mary is saying here, that from generation to generation, God has oftentimes not given people what they deserve. I want you to know something. That is good news. I had a professor in seminary that used to tell us that his kids would come up and he said there was one phrase that you could never use in our household. And that phrase was, it's not fair. He said, because here's my response to that statement when one of my kids would say, well, it's not fair that she got a cookie and I didn't get a cookie. Or it's not fair that she got her allowance this month and I didn't get my allowance. Or it's not fair that she got a car and I didn't get a car. And here's his response. Do we really want to talk about what's fair? Let's be reminded that what is fair is God's wrath and God's judgment on sinners. That's what's fair. That's what's fair when we look at the Scriptures, when we realize that we're talking about a holy and perfect God. That what is fair towards sin is God's wrath and God's judgment. But from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to Jesus coming, and then on the back end of that, what we see on display oftentimes is God exercising mercy. God not giving His people what they deserve. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see people... And I think, if I were God, 
here's what they need. Typically, it happens on the interstate. (laughs) Driving along, someone comes flying by, cuts you off, and here's what I'm saying, Lord, I hope there's a cop right up ahead. That person needs a ticket. I mean, that's fair. But then what about when I do that? Of course, not with the North River sticker on the back of my truck, right? (laughs) We talked about that when we passed those out. If you're going to drive crazy, don't put that on the back of your car. But as we look, what we see Mary highlighting and lifting up and praising the Lord for is the fact that generation after generation, God has shown His great mercy. As you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, as you look at Abraham, as you look at Joseph, as you look at the prophets, as you look at God's people, as they oftentimes followed him, but then struggled to follow him and walked in sin. What we see constantly is that God exercises mercy towards them. That at the moment we look and say, God should take them out. That God shows great mercy to those who are willing to humble themselves before him. I want you to know that not only is this true for Mary, but this is true for us as well. That when we look at the Christmas story, when we look at salvation, when we look at what Jesus Christ has made possible through His life and death and resurrection, what we see on display in our lives is God's mercy. God not giving us what we deserve, but God giving us the greatest gift that we could have ever imagined. And for us, Mary's song as believers is our song. And let's just stop there and ask the question, if If you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to hear me this morning because this moment right now, the fact that you are sitting in these seats hearing God's Word, being shown who Jesus Christ is, is an act of God's mercy in this moment in your life. It is not by accident that you are here right now. God is giving you an opportunity to respond to who Jesus Christ is today. Incredible mercy. You don't deserve it, but He does it anyway. And Mary says that we should praise the Lord. We should magnify the Lord because of His great mercy. Not only that, I want you to notice in verse 51 through this verse 53 that God is deserving of praise because He has worked in strength and justice for all people. Verse 51, this is what Mary says, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry 
with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. You know, it's interesting when you consider those words that Mary utters in praise to the Lord. What we see in those verses is an upside down world. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ turned the world upside down. Jesus Christ is the one who came and said, I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, looking at his disciples, said that our goal and objective is not to gain power and prominence and prosperity. Our goal is to lay our lives down for others. And so what we see in Jesus Christ is a kingdom turned upside down. What we see is Him not coming in pomp and circumstance. He doesn't come to a palace. He comes to a manger. He doesn't come to a prominent family. He comes to a family that no one would have known. He doesn't come to a location that one would say a king should come from there. He comes from a tiny city. He doesn't come in the way that we would think he should come. In fact, let's be honest, he doesn't come in the way if we were writing the story, we would have written for him to come. And yet what we see here is a great reminder from Mary that the Lord's hand is strong. That God doesn't do what he does because he's weak. He does what He does because He's strong. And that all who would seek to stand in opposition against Him will be crushed. That those who desire to say, I'm rich in this life, if they've not trusted Jesus in their Savior, is actually poor. Mary is reminding all of us and herself of what the true kingdom of God looks like on earth. It's not what we think it probably should be. And in its inauguration, it's not how we would have drawn the script, but it's how Jesus came. As a baby in a manger. Setting aside the glory that was due His name being mistreated by the religious leaders of the day, being executed by a Roman government for no crime whatsoever, being beaten, a crown of thorns shoved on his head, all of that he endured willingly for you and for me. He is a conquering king but he is a servant king willing to lay his life down for us. And the reality is, Mary reminds us that that is what it means to walk in relationship with the Lord. The proud can't do it. The rich, if their hearts are fixated on their wealth, can't do it. 
The strong can't do it. In fact, what we see is it's the weak. It's the poor. It's the humble in heart. Or the ones that God's kingdom is custom made for. What we're reminded of is that Jesus who came as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, who came as a humble servant, as we sang about earlier, will return in power. He will return in authority. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of the Father. The question this morning is not whether we will bow our knee and whether our tongue will confess that truth. The question is when. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this is a reality in your life. You have bowed your knee before Jesus Christ. You have humbled yourself in His presence. You've received the salvation His death and resurrection provide for you. You have humbled yourself and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. What Mary describes is what you have experienced. Let me say, if you've not done that, if in your mind you have hitched your wagon to the thought that your strength and your power and your wealth and your good deeds may earn favor with God, let's stop and be reminded. As Mary reminds us here that God scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. The rich, he has sent away empty. If you thought you could earn God's favor, you can't. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, humbling yourself and receiving that gift that you can be made right with your heavenly Father. Mary reminds us of that reality in this song. And then lastly, Verse 54 and 55, God is deserving of praise because he has fulfilled his promise to bring salvation to the world. Mary says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Listen to this. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The plan of sending his son to this earth was not something that God did as a result of being caught off guard. When sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, God didn't say in that moment, oops, what do we do now? How do we fix this? We know that the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, God's only son, was slain before the foundation of the world, that God, the Father's plan, all along was to send His Son to save His people. And we see throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3.15, 
walking all the way through until Jesus Christ comes here of God's promise that a Savior would come. God's promise that He would save His people. God's promise that He would send a rescuer. And Mary says here, God's promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This baby that was in her womb is the Savior of the world. May we be reminded this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, the story didn't start when you came on the scene. You're not the point of the story either. Let's be reminded that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that God began writing this story. That God began promising that a Savior would come. That God began reminding His people, I will save you. I will deliver you. I will rescue you. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have experienced that reality in your life today. You celebrate Christmas differently because the Christmas story is a story not out there, but it's a story in here. It's a story that you have experienced. Not because you've opened presents, but because you've received the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that's Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've not taken that step, if you've not received that gift, if you've not joined in on the story that has been written from before the foundation of the world was laid, to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. As we transition into a time of invitation, I want this morning for you to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Christmas looks a little bit different this year. This year has been crazy. But you have an opportunity this first Sunday of December to reorient your heart and your mind. around the reality that God is worthy to be magnified and praised. That you have reason this morning as a follower of Jesus, as a believer, to sing from the depths of your heart, to praise with your lips, to lift high the name of Jesus, to magnify Him both here and in this community that we live in. Because He deserves it. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of being magnified. He's worthy of being lifted up. 
And as crazy as the world around us may be, it doesn't change that reality. You have a chance this morning during this time of invitation to be reminded of that. Maybe for you, as a believer, you need to hit your knees right now. Maybe up at the front of this stage and realize that you've kind of made everything all about you. When the reality is, it's all about Him. And you want to make a commitment this morning that this Christmas season is going to be about Him, about lifting Him up, about magnifying Him, about praising Him, celebrating the gift that you've been given of salvation. Maybe you want to come to the front this morning kneel and pray for someone you know in your family or in your workplace or in your neighborhood that's not yet experienced the greatest gift that's ever been given. They celebrate Christmas, but as it hasn't sunk deep in their heart, they've never receive the gift of Jesus Christ as their Savior and you want to lift their name before the Lord and ask God to give you boldness in this season to share that hope with them to magnify Jesus in their presence to point them to Him I want to encourage you as we begin to sing that you can come and do that maybe this morning you're here and This song that we talked about, that we've said is our song as believers, you have come and realized that this is not your song. But this morning, you desire for it to be your song. This morning, you want to pause in this season and receive the free gift of salvation made available through Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection. So that this Christmas will be different from every other Christmas. You'll actually have the ability to celebrate for what it really is. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you as soon as the music begins to play to make your way into the foyer. I'll be there love to share with you what it means to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior so that today Mary's song will be your song. You make your way out as we begin to sing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this song. For a song that was sung 2,000 years ago that still has relevance today in our lives as believers. Thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand and sing. This altar is open at the front. You can come and pray. If you need to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, meet me in the foyer.